Welcome to the Self-Evident and Forgotten Podcast, a show with conversations on the truths of liberty and odd opinions. We're your hosts, Stanton, Christy, and Cody. As always, the opinions we express are ours and ours alone, and they don't necessarily reflect those of our employers or any other organization we may belong to. Wherever you are, and however you're listening and whatever you're doing, thanks for tuning in. Now relax and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Self-Evident and Forgotten. We're your hosts, Stanton and Cody. Today, we are missing uh the i would say the jewel of our of our of our show christy she is swamped right now in her campaign for uh chairwoman of the colorado republican party we wish her all the best but she is in the throes of it she is doing everything she can to make that happen for herself and we are right there behind her so cody and i are manning the station and you can't say manning it's just two guys now we've got to be careful with our gendered language we are personing the there we go all right right, we're here we're here and it's just us um and we have an interesting show for you uh today we're going to be talking about something that is pervasive throughout our society something that is unseen something that is some might say insidious and something that is completely normal to most americans but should not be we are going to be talking about public utilities. Oh, so exciting, magnificent. Uh, But what makes this episode interesting is not a boring topic for some. What's interesting about it is that we have our first interview. We have someone who is uh, in the crusade against this nefarious opponent of liberty. Uh, So we we lost Christy for today, but we're gaining someone else. Um, So there'll be an interesting show. But Cody... I have still a random question of the episode. Okay, good. We're going to keep it very simple today. I I think this is a random question. How are you today? February was rough for a lot of us. Oh, how are you? You know, uh, I'm doing well. I feel like we had a busy few months. Uh, Holidays are always tough and and rough. And then, uh, you know, some events in January. And and when you work in public interest law, those bear a lot on what my life looks like day to day. So, you know, it's been a busy few months, but I feel like the weather's turning with that, you know, the mood turns. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I think we're doing good. I'm feeling good now. How about you? You know what? Today was a gorgeous day. You know, it, 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 I think I've said before that Tuesday is the worst day of the week. Have I, have I explained that to you before? No, but now I'm really interested. So Tuesday is the worst day of the week. Here's why. Monday, everyone's, everyone says is the worst. But in reality, you're still refreshed. The weekend's just behind you. It's refreshing. It's, you know, you're not happy that you're not in the weekend, but you're refreshed. Friday is the weekend. Thursday, it's Thursday's brutal, but it's weekend's just around the corner. Wednesday is a sense of accomplishment. I'm halfway there, just a little bit more. Tuesday, there is no weekend. It's not around the corner. There is no accomplishment of being halfway through. And you are exhausted from Monday. Tuesday is the worst day of the week. My wife and I refuse to have budget talks on Tuesdays because it just never goes well. You know, that's a, I, 
this might be accidentally brilliant. And I, maybe I'm being mean. Maybe it's no, very no, no. intentionally we, brilliant. We came, we came across <laughs> it just kind of like, huh? Every, there was there was this period of uh, last year. It was just like every Tuesday, some something awful happened. And we just said Tuesdays are the worst day of the week. And so we tried to figure out logically why that was the case. And we worked backwards like, oh, my goodness, Tuesdays are awful. Well, February's are the Tuesdays of the year. They're the worst, <laughs> the worst month of the year. It's cold. It's dark. It's miserable. The one holiday you get that is celebrated widespread is Valentine's Day. And don't get me wrong. I like Valentine's Day. I'm married. But, I mean, it's not a – you know, it's just a mediocre – February doesn't <laughs> – it doesn't even have its own self-respect to have a full 30 days. Well, I mean, that wasn't February's fault. It's because they screwed up the calendar and had to insert a full leap month. And so they chose the worst day of the – the worst month of the year to say, we're going to keep that one short. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Tuesdays are the worst day of the week, and February is the Tuesday of the year. That's damned right. <laughs> now, this is where where they come for all their hard hitting news. That's why people come <laughs> back for more. <laughs> come back for our social commentary on Manning episodes and February. I like that. I feel like I'm now. I'm gonna see. This makes sense of why. So you know, as a kid who grew up in Southern California and then went to law school, I mean, Taco Tuesday was like that was the thing you did because it it kind of you, had, you, you need Taco Tuesday just to sustain your mental self-worth because of a crushing day, right? Taco Tuesday keeps everything else in check. It's like a compensating factor for, for Tuesday. I mean, I feel like I was just really excited about cheap tacos and that it wasn't necessarily an existential crisis, but no, now I, maybe. I, I'm convinced that the <laughs> Tex-Mex universe has developed Taco Tuesday for the fact that there was this subconscious plague called Tuesday. And we found out that tacos are the cure to that plague. I'm going to, I'm going to now bring taco Tuesday with me now to Denver. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to find a place. I'm going to start it up. That's how we're going to get through the week from here on out. Absolutely. And you know what, if we bring it and we find enough places, maybe we can create some free market competition to get better taco Tuesday in Denver. Because free market competition is how you get better things, right? I'm all about that. And speaking of free market, thank you, Cody, for a nice <laughs> little softball for me to hit it out of the park. When it comes to the free market, most of us understand what a free market is, right? It is a system of private property where you get to own the fruit of your labor. You get to own yourself and you get to exchange what you own with what other people own in the hopes that you get something better, that you develop a better standard of living for yourself, right? That's how the free market idea and principle generally works. This is what, you know, we, we no, there's, there's arguments of whether or not the United States is a free market or not. We're not going to go down that road. What we are going to talk about is that of all the things that you are able to freely exchange, right? You can buy food at the grocery store, they sell it free exchange, that you can go buy a ticket to a movie theater. Well, maybe not now with COVID, but in normal times, uh, for most things, you exchange your private property in the form of money for private property in the form of some good or service. There is a noticeable exception for that in our world, 
called public utilities. That's a really fancy way of saying a government monopoly or a government-sanctioned monopoly on some service. Most commonly, it's services like electricity and water. If you've ever paid a bill anywhere in any city in the country, you are paying the bill to one provider and one provider only. And if you ask, oh, I don't like the fact that my water rates are going up or my electric rates are going up, well, tough, because there's no one else around for you to go shop to, uh, not unless you move cities. And when you move cities, once again, there's only one provider in the city. This is the essence of a utility. One of the things that's interesting to me is that, you know, back in the day, uh, when, when you learn about utilities, one of the things that they call them is a natural monopoly. Mm -hmm. And it's this interesting concept where basically somebody just decided to make up a term called natural monopoly. And I think Mill, John Stuart Mill talks about this, or at least it's been attributed to him. Um, but it's this idea of, oh, well, you know, the entrance cost is too high. The capital re and infrastructure requirements are too large. So therefore you have to have a monopoly Otherwise, you just don't get the service. So this is a really interesting idea. And again, we want to be conscientious of the fact that we are not an economics episode. I could talk about economics for hours and hours, and I do to the disdain of my wife. But <laughs> we do need to go over a couple of basic key elements. So most of us have this understanding of what a monopoly is. It is a, an entity within usually a certain industry or providing a certain good. And it's the only entity that is providing that good or that service. Okay. Sometimes people think of monopolies as really big companies with a lot of power. That's more the realm of a trust, but so that's not really monopoly. True monopoly is you've got almost total control over the sale distribution of a good, which means you get to set the price and you also get to determine what the quality of the good is. If you're the only guy in town selling chickens, your chickens can be scrawny and kind of just bad tasting and no one can do anything about it because you're the only guy in town, right? Um, that's a monopoly. We're all pretty familiar with this idea. There's this, I, this concept called natural monopoly. A natural monopoly is this theory that if a company in a certain industry, in a certain uh, uh, economic sector, say oil, okay, that if they were able to somehow get a hold of all the manufacturing that's necessary, the factories, um, well, actually, if we're talking about oil, the refineries, the drilling operation, the transportation, if they were able to get all of that, the cost of getting all of those things, the cost of buying those things is so prohibitively high that really only one person would be able to have the monopoly, that they could, in fact, push out smaller competitors. They could, they could gobble them up. They can say, no, I don't want you in, so I'm going to buy up your, uh, your capital goods before you can even get into the market. Crushing competition. Generally speaking, the idea of a natural monopoly, that naturally in a free market, there will be one person selling one type of good and no one else can sell it, is bogus. A natural monopoly is fundamentally impossible. And the reason for this is long-winded and complicated, but it basically comes down to this. 
if you have a truly free market where people are able to buy and sell property as they see fit, anyone can start their own company. Is it difficult? Sure. But if we take a look at the, you know, if you ever were in your history class in high school, you probably heard of the great robber barons of the Gilded Age, the, these titans of industry who crushed their opponents and secure their natural monopolies. You take something like, um, who was it? Was it Standard Steel? Might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Standard Steel owned something like 90% of the market for steel, which is effectively a monopoly. And we might say, oh, that's terrible. The thing is, before the government started to institute anti-monopoly laws, Standard Steel went from a 90% control of the market to 60%. And it, it, was, it was like a 20-year or 30-year period. Standard Oil and U.S. Steel, right? Yeah, sorry. I, I Yeah, you're right. Okay. Standard Oil, U.S. Steel. Um, what did I say? Standard Steel? Standard Steel. We're just throwing Rockefeller in there too. <laughs> it's it's Wednesday. Tuesday was yesterday. I'm still reeling from that, from that trauma. <laughs> that they'd gone from a 90% control of the market to 60% control. Why? Because they had developed more effective ways, cheaper ways to do what they were doing. And other people watched that and they said, ooh, that's a good idea. I'm going to take that and I'm going to do it myself. So they were able to lower the cost of manufacturing their product, which again was the whole reason why we had a prohibitive natural monopoly in the first place, they were able to lower the costs of entering into the market, which brings in competitors, which brings in this idea that no one can now control just the price willy-nilly. Well, and that's the key, right? So there's two factors there. There's either you either offer a product of the same quality for a cheaper price, Mm -hmm. or you offer a better product. So in your chicken example, right? So like if you live in a town and there's only shitty chickens, and, um, you know, there's, they're expensive. Somebody else could come in and sell also bad chickens, but sell them for cheaper. So you mm-hmm. save some money. You're getting the same quality chicken. That's a win for you. Or they can sell you good chickens. Maybe it's a little bit more even, but now you've got a market alternative. Mm-hmm. And so you've got one of two things. You either have more money in your pocket and the same quality good, or you've got better quality goods. So it's a win for everybody in the market. Precisely. So natural monopolies, the idea that someone can have a monopoly in a free market um, for a sustained period of time, right? So a, a permanent natural monopoly, it's not possible. What is possible are government monopolies. Because by default, government is a monopoly. You know, Murray Rothbard in, in his uh, in his very short work, Anatomy of the State, basically said the state is a monopoly on the use of force, specifically the force to take things, to steal, right? Now, whether or not you think taxation is theft, you cannot deny that unless you are defending yourself, the only institution in society that has a legitimate, a legitimate authority to engage in proactive violence is your government. You cannot just walk up to someone and punch them. And you might say, well, neither can the government. Okay, then how do you explain war? How do you explain first (laughs) strike capabilities? We have nuclear subs parked off the coast of every nation with missiles for first strike engagements. 
Well, and this is the thing, right? Everybody forgets that every single thing the government does can be enforced either at the barrel of a gun or by throwing you in jail. You know, if you don't pay your taxes for long enough, they will put you in jail. If you refuse to go to jail, they will do so at the barrel of a gun. So people forget that there's this, there is always a barrel at the end of whatever government does. Right. And when you understand that government is this monopoly, then you understand where other monopolies in society come from. Okay. You, you think about um, education, right? Uh, we now have, we, we, we have some competition in education. Thank, uh, thanks to parochial schools and well now charter schools to some extent, but on the whole, the predominant owner, manager, and determiner of educational goals and curriculum is the state. They have monopoly on it. In this line, you also get the monopoly over things like water provision and electricity, power. Okay. Um, the rationale for doing this in the early 20th century was this false idea of a natural monopoly. It's so expensive to get into water and electricity. It's so expensive to have these costs that there's going to be a monopoly one way or the other. So the rationale being the government might as well authorize a monopoly under its supervision for the so-called reason of, well, if we start the monopoly and we control the monopoly, then at least we can supervise it, we can regulate it, and we can have it operate in the public interest. Okay. Well, and these are things that like utilities are treated as a public necessity, right? I mean, you need water to live. If you live in certain climates, you need power to live. So they're carved out in this kind of special treatment because they are deemed to be by government and by individuals in some contexts, they're deemed to be necessary to life. You know, it's not like, um, well, I mean, they're trying maybe in the future, but it's not like social media, right? Like it's not something that's a necessity to life, even though people are now making that argument to try and have it regulated as if it were a utility at times. That's kind of the key here. We're not talking about, um, I don't know, I'm looking around my room to try and come up with it. guitars, right? Like you don't need a guitar to live. You don't need the government to step in and create a monopoly, but what about something like water? Uh, you're, you're absolutely right about all of that. You know, this fear that if we don't have some guarantee by the government of provision of water and electricity, then we won't have a provision of water and electricity. That's kind of weird thinking because if water and electricity are so necessary, people will naturally come up with solutions on their own outside of government to provide it. And a lot of the rationale for the government um, behind natural monopoly was way back in the early 20th century saying this is such new, it's so expensive that government government's the only one that can finance it through taxation. For one, that's historically inaccurate because there was a robust competition for electricity in the early 20th century. But even if it was historically accurate, we now have so many resources and avenues available to us that... Uh, Starting up a water pro, pro, uh, a water providing company or electric providing company is piece of cake. Um, yeah, and like it's not actually a lack of ability; it was a lack of foresight, right? This is the eye pencil problem. 
This is, you know, the famous essay where, you know, no one can sit down and, and create a pencil, but somebody can make the graphite, somebody, or previously the lead, somebody else knows how to machine the wood, somebody else knows how to paint it, somebody else knows how to create the erasers. And market the market will come up with solutions for all of these individual problems, even though one individual might not be able to sit down tomorrow and make a pencil from scratch. And, and that's the thing is it's not actually a problem of the market. It's a problem of people not trusting in the market and not understanding and having enough foresight to see that competition will create better services and will provide services where they're needed. I mean, if you've ever looked at your electricity system or your water system, you'll realize how badly outdated a lot of these systems are, how inefficient they are in delivering electricity, how inefficient they are in managing water rates. And, and, and again, I, I, oh man, I want to dig into the economics here, but looking at just your, if you've ever lived in, in Texas or in Colorado in the summer and it gets hot, the utility says, Hey, during these hours, if you turn it on, you're going to have a higher rate. That functionally is the equivalent of a higher price with increased demand. Okay. That's exactly how supply and demand works. The whole point of the public utility was that we keep rates low for, for citizens. Well, if they're changing rates due to increased demand, why is that any different than a private competitor working in the regular market? Well, and worse, so I grew up in Southern California in, you know, away from the beach uh, where it would regularly get over 100 degrees in the summer. And when I was younger, we would have brownouts all the time where you had to turn everything off. Like it wasn't even just they increased your rate in the summer if you turned your AC on. There were times when I was a kid where they just stopped providing power for extended periods, usually when facilities got damaged because they were in disrepair, because there was a so-called natural monopoly on it that was governed by the, the government. Here in a uh, later in uh, at the later part of this episode, we're going to talk about how these government shortages are going to affect us personally, because this is going to be really important when we talk about some modern events that just recently happened. Um, but what we'd like to do with you now is we want to share with you uh, an individual. Her name is Sarah Hunt. Uh, she is on the forefront of dealing with a brand new type of public utility in the form of broadband. As a little bit of background, if you don't know what the word broadband is, it's basically internet providing, okay, internet provision. Um, numerous municipalities across the country are looking into or already have uh, built government monopolized private, uh, government monopolized uh, broadband utilities, okay. Um, and this to us has a lot of, we're, we're really worried about this. We're going to talk about why we're worried about this. We're going to talk about why we think this is bad for freedom, along with the whole utility idea. Um, but before we do that, we'd like you to hear from Sarah herself. So we're going to play you uh, um, a recording of this interview that we had yesterday, and then we'll be right back for our conversation. Miss Sarah Hunt, welcome to Self-Evident and Forgotten. We have, ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Hunt of Hunt Public Policy here to talk about uh, her crusade, I suppose, a noble crusade, a noble fight against a particular 
uh, public utility here in the Northern Colorado area in Fort Collins. Um, Sarah, welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, tell us about what you are doing. Tell us first about what is this? This is called Connection, Connection, this nice fun little title. Yes, it's it's Connection with an X. So that just makes it really edgy, right? So it's the uh, public utility established by the city of Fort Collins, which will provide broadband internet in much the way that uh, cities and municipalities provide their other utilities, electricity, water, and the like. Um, the problem with this one is that um, it immediately enters the market and competes with private business. Um, it fund, it's funded on the backs of the taxpayers. And if things don't go perfectly, everyone who is a light and power customer, so whether or not you sign up for connection, even if you're just a light and power customer, uh, you will be on the hook to pay for the failed experiment. And Light and Power is the electric utility for Fort Collins. Correct. So this whole project was funded by a bond and the collateral for the bond is the utilities customers will fork over more fees if Connection doesn't earn enough revenue. Hold on. So the government put the collateral as their own people? Yeah, essentially? That, that's correct. And, and they did this with such, um, such certainty and gusto and enthusiasm, despite people like me and many others telling them at the time that um, Penn State did a study of 21 municipal broadband projects across the country, 11 of which failed, including one in Orem, Utah that sold for a dollar and uh, one in Burlington, Vermont, that they just gave away. They didn't even get the dollar, I don't think. Oh so um, there are um, significant concerns with the with the business model, yet Fort Collins uh, uh, plowed ahead. So you said that it has to go perfectly. How is it going right now? Well, that's a really good question. They are very behind in their build out, in their construction. They are over budget. And their last quarterly report showed that they were off on their revenue projections by four and a half million dollars. Oh, so close. They're, yes. they're, they're, they're just, right in the ballpark. So, you know, no big, just rounding error, <laughs> right? So, but if you think of it though, would any private lender, would any bank, anywhere in the private sector, anywhere in private business, if a company came up that short, would that be tolerated? Well, that's the problem. I mean, when you put the surety is that your citizens are going to pay instead. Of, so it just created this like perverse incentive structure that the city's got nothing to lose, does it? Well, the, yeah, the only thing it's going to have to lose is its own political capital, which they can, you know, minimize and spin and cover and, and have help from the local media. And so that surely will take place. But yes, the the brunt of it will be borne by the citizens. Um, the other avenue, which um, recently I think has become more likely, is that there will be a federal bailout that millions of dollars will maybe come from a federal stimulus 
to bail out these uh, these these blue municipalities who are either struggling because of you know COVID or fill in the blank, and so millions of dollars are going to trickle in and uh, rescues will occur. Um, I've I've always said that you know I've never been good at math because I can I can only do political math and political math is functionally forty billion dollars. 80 billion dollars ah, what's the difference ah, throw it anyway right? well when you're printing the money i mean you don't have to account for it i'm sure that the the bailout is already in you know page 260 of the covid relief bill at this the trillion dollar one uh, paragraph three subsection 21 dash uh whatever junk number abc anyway it might not be in there it might not come but if it does you heard it here first okay so <laughs> Connection is obviously having some financial problems. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about on utilities is transparency. And, you know, most established utilities have some level of transparency and we can see operations, we can see salaries, we can see et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How has your group done in getting this information from the city, from Connection? What's been that process for you? It's been really it's been really a struggle to, to achieve or, or, or to find the transparency and accountability from the cities, almost so much so that it's become its own issue, right? So the, the first issue is that they've got this municipal broadband project and it's going poorly and we need to talk about that. The other issue is that the city's trying to cover that up, right? So you've got the problem and you've got the cover up. Um, because I've done several open record requests. I get um, the runaround, they play games, they run out the clock, um, you know, try to charge exorbitant amounts for public records. And, but so one thing that I keep coming back to though, is asking the city, how many subscribers do you have? Because whether or not, you know, we citizens are on the hook to pay for it if it fails depends on how many subscribers they have. So that's really critical to know. That's the benchmark for how well is this utility doing? Right, if we're gonna pay millions of dollars, we'd like to get something for it. Correct. So, but the city says that they cannot provide the number of subscribers. It's not something that they keep track of. So they are effectively saying that they are a business that doesn't know how many customers they have yet in the state of the city or yeah, state of the city address. Wow. Uh, the, the city manager recently bragged about um, the 3,842 potholes they filled this last year, but they don't know how many connection subscribers they have, but they've uh, counted their That's the most government answer ever. Dated <laughs> for me, but not for me. Wow. Okay. Um, so this is worse than I thought. I thought we were just going to talk about a public utility that may or may not exist. Let's start from its origins then. If it's kind of in the middle of this isn't good, how did this start? Why did Fort Collins adopt this in the first place? Who who proposed it? Who's running it? What's What's going on here? Well, the way that it was sold to the voters was, um, you know, isn't isn't your cable bill frustrating? Um, you know, customer service and, and telecom companies leave something to be desired. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot about equity and inclusion in the digital space and access to internet, things like that. Um, and so like, shouldn't everybody have access to internet and don't you want to get gig speed? That was their big thing. Like gig speed, download a movie and, you know, 
Because this is supposed to be some seconds. This is supposed to be some advanced what fiber optic cable and whatnot. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, best of the best. Gig speed. Never mind that five G is right around the corner. You know, <laughs> but gig speed is coming. And so, um, you know, we live in in Fort Collins, which is well on its way to trying to be um, more bolder than Boulder. <laughs> and so, the idea of uh, government getting into a project like this appealed to a lot of people. So basically, like they saw a problem and went, you know, who can fix this government? (laughs) Well, And it's almost, though, that they went in search of the problem. Um, You know, I don't have gig speed and I don't have issues streaming. I don't know what speed you guys, you know, use, but, um, you know, and and so, again, I'm not really entirely sure what the problem is. I think they just got wide eyed about the idea of it and they modeled it after, um, the broadband project in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which was one of the first in the nation. So this one was launched with uh, President Obama's 2009 stimulus package money. Oh. And it was run by a man named Coleman Keen in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so when Fort Collins was looking at doing theirs, they talked to this gentleman, Mr. Keene from Tennessee. They flew him out here. They put him up. They, you know, wined and dined. They had him talk about how great and easy and wonderful everything was in Chattanooga. And that went a long way to, you know, making the case for city council, to making the case for voters. To put it on a, a, a city ballot. Correct. And um, so, yes, so then it passed. And then shortly thereafter, the very same Mr. Keene became the executive director of Connection. So um, definitely not a conflict at all. Just to be clear, the man that they hired to consult them about the project is now running the project, running the project in ways where you cannot get your open records access. Yeah, so you come back to the accountability and transparency. And again, it's not hard to connect the dots that the guy who said this would go off without a hitch and would be great, we should definitely do it. And then he's responsible for running it. And it's failing miserably by every measure is not making it easy to look at the books. I wonder how Chad- I saw I saw a quote from him. And I think it kind of encapsulates some of the problem you're talking about. And basically, he said that one of the reasons why they won't report where they're putting broadband in and where they're working is because they don't want their competitors to come in and offer people better deals before the broadband goes in. So basically his issue is that he's being out competed in the market and that's frustrating. So as a result, no one gets to know what he's doing. (laughs) It wasn't the point. I mean, because I live in Fort Collins and I remember the discussion was, you know, we need to do this because the private companies like Comcast, they're not providing gig speed. They're not doing this. And so part of the whole point of the project was by the, the government providing the service, it would incentivize and encourage private companies to. Well, okay. If they're going to do that, they would want to know, all right, what's our competitors doing? How should we compete against them? How, how do we best serve uh, for cons as the government's doing? But how do you compete if they don't, I, I, this, this seems to, to defeat the point of the project, which was to provide greater access to broadband. And now they're just saying, no, no, no we don't want you to know. We want us to know. This isn't about creating service and monop- uh, creating service competition. This is about creating a monopoly, cutting out private competition. 
At least that's what I'm getting. Right. It's it's like the single payer healthcare model for internet, right? The government's going to do it and then like undercut all the private market participants and then be the only ones left and then be able to charge whatever they want and redistribute funds and give it away free here and charge 20 times over here. Um, yeah, but no, you're, you're right about the, um, the weak sauce that that argument is. If we can't say how many customers we have or where we're working because the competition will pepper the neighborhood with leaflets or, or, or something, <laughs> right? Because um, the telecom providers in the area, you know, your CenturyLinks, your, your Comcast, and, and, you know, some of your, some of your other lesser known ones, they are not going to micro advertise by neighborhood. They would advertise to a region or like, so Northern Colorado or Fort Collins and Loveland or Larimer County or the town of Fort Collins, where connections you know, white pickup trucks are on any given day is not going to affect their marketing strategy. Um, they will offer the, the whole town, hey, gig speed for this much for a two-year contract and people can can take it or leave it. So again, that's just uh, that's just an argument by Mr. Keene that does not hold water. Speaking of white trucks for connection, um, I've been following some of what you've been doing. And you've been very concerned about how the city is going about installing these fiber optics and disrupting daily life. Can you elaborate on that for me? The destruction to people's private property has been so far and beyond what anybody predicted or said or calculated or forewarned that it really is dumbfounding. Um, and it's not just tearing up lawns and sprinklers, although that's a lot of it, but it has become clear that um, tearing up sprinklers is not something that's even trying to be avoided because it would slow them down too much. They're behind schedule. It's much easier to just, you know, send in a sprinkler repair person. But of course, that's been taking forever. People have been doing it themselves after waiting for months. So, I mean, just widespread sprinkler damage. But they've also damaged driveways. They've damaged cars. They've broken two water mains. They've broken a gas main. And they've broken a sewer main and flooded apartments with sewage. Wow. So this is this is not just, you know, my my sod, my resod isn't taking or my <laughs> my sprinkler head now is is too high for my mower to go over like that. Those things are happening all over. There, but it there, goes way beyond that. Is there any compensation for this? They say that, yeah, they will come out and they will pay for it. But again, that's coming out of the of the budget. That's coming out of the balance sheet where which is already behind budget, which is way behind and so, which is resting on the backs of the people. Correct. As collateral, right? Yes. We're collateral. So yeah, they're, yeah. they're eating up the people they're counting on to, to subscribe. So I don't think that's really I'm not a, a marketing major, but I, I wouldn't do it that way. So this is something I thought was interesting because it was put to a popular vote and it was voted on. And I think the margin of it, I think it was a 57% in favor, which is, isn't, you know, all that massive. Um, but I, I think what's interesting here is right. So they basically put something to a popular vote, but they're using, they basically allowed the mob to vote on the force of government because they're still doing this off the backs of the people, right. And they're still, you know, hedging their bets with 
potential additional taxes or they'll call it a fee because they can't call it a tax. Um, but how is this like, so this idea that this was supposed to be a local solution is really just backfiring at every stage, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a complete disaster. And that's like, I don't revel in that. Like, it's not like I, I want it to fail. I want it like, if it's, if it's approved by the voters as misguided as I think that is, and it's happening, I, I want to see it succeed. But again, if they are not getting the subscribers they need, not even close, they are behind schedule, they are over budget, they're way short on revenues. Um, no, no private company and no private bank would would stand for this. Yet it's it's going on here in the city. Better um, to abandon ship now than take on more water that's just going to sink it. Yeah, you've got to tap the brakes, right? You've got to just stop everything, bring in a, a, an audit, see what's what, see if it can be recovered, um, see what value there is and, and what's been done before you spend everything and that value goes down to a dollar like it did in Orem. Um, you know, we need to just tap the brakes on the project and you know, take a good hard look at if it makes sense to just cut bait. I want to, I want to put on my, my devil's advocate hat real quick. Um, and, and I want to, I want to see how, how this goes, how this plays out. So, you know, this is supposed to be utility, just like water, just like electricity and so many other things that, 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 that fall under that category. Um, and let, you know, let's say, you know, you're right, Sarah, you're right that it's having problems that you know, management's not great, that we're behind budget. These are growing pains. These are the early development. Give it time. It'll develop into a great utility. It'll develop into something just as re reliable as electricity, just as reliable as water and sewer and all that. You know, why Why you got to bust us so much? You know, can't this work? Isn't Chattanooga doing just fine? Isn't all the other public broadband utilities doing just fine? Why, why do you got to be so hard? It, this can work, right? Uh, what's the first rule of holes? <laughs> you right, you, you stop digging, it's, right? Uh... You, you stop digging. And again, like, and maybe that's the case, but maybe we need to have um, an independent consultant who's not going to be part of the executive team or an independent auditor take a look at where we are and see if in fact we just need to push through or if in fact we don't that would be something i would completely support would be getting to the bottom of what is the actual status of the project um and and that's what we're sort of trying to get after from the city and we keep getting the runaround and why it's become almost more of a story of well why can't we have an honest look at how it's going is there not an independent auditor already not that just I'm also keen. He's just also the independent auditor, right? <laughs> yeah. it's, his, it's his brother in law, right? He knows the guy. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I think it's it's crazy to me. So I mean, one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast previously, and one of the things that we focused on is is this idea of local, right? That it's generally better to have things local. But this seems to me and it I think the key distinction that we need to make there is that it's not just better to have things local. You need to have government working in its proper role on the local level as well. And I think the benefit there and why we've always, at least why I've always 
advocated for bringing things local is additional transparency and and you have to answer to the people because they're not in Washington, DC. They're not in, you know, various agencies across the country, but they live in your community, but you just, you're not getting any of that, right? Like you just, you're getting all of the bad parts about government just wrapped up into one neat package. That's then spewed across department floors. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's disappointing because I completely agree that, you know, that's, what's good about government closest to the people is that they are among you. They're your neighbors, you're in the community. So there's supposed to be that there's that implied additional accountability that they're not off in some far away land in, in DC or Denver or elsewhere. Um, and, and that's why I think that, you know, this city council and this city manager, um, I, they have this leadership opportunity to say, let's look at the business plan and see where we're coming up short. Um, you know, if, if they do that, they might find, you know, I had a, a business consultant look at the business plan and he said, gosh, they didn't put any thought into the changeover costs meaning, you know, someone's got a private company internet provider, they've already got their automatic payments set up, they've already got their password stored, they've already got, you know, their their bookmarks and everything, and it's just this automatic part of their lives. What's the incentive of changing over? There's a cost to changing over, right? Like you got to reset all of those things, which are just automatic in our busy lives. And, you know, that might be one of the reasons why they are not getting the subscribers that they need. Now, I had an independent person look at that and say, well, no, there is an issue that if they were honest about, you know, maybe they could propose some solutions. Um, You know, again, I don't want it to fail. I want them to be honest about where they're at, how many subscribers do they have? What are their barriers? And, you know, what do if we need to eat some cash or find some more capital? Like, what's the solution? Those are the conversations that need to take place instead of, you know, oh, we can't count that or we don't know or, you know, sorry, I didn't get your email. And, and, and so there's just a real opportunity here for local government, local leaders the government closest to the people to step up and be the kind of people that you described. And I'm still holding out hope that they do it. When I think that's the benefit of, of local, right. Is like, like you said, they're, they're in your, you're there, your neighbors, they live in your neighborhood. So, you know, the hope is that you'll have, you know, hopefully be able to get a better response from them than somebody that you might get, you know, than you might get from somebody in Washington, DC per se. Time will tell that that is the hope, but, um, and I try not to be a cynical person, but I'm, I'm becoming a little bit more hopeless by the day on this one. Don't worry. We can be cynical for you. We have plenty of it here between Cody and I both. Sarah of Hunt Public Policy, thank you for being with us today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Thanks for being on. Okay. So Sarah was great. We loved having her on the show. She was a, a, a hoot to have. Um, thank you again, Sarah, for being on the show. We really yeah, appreciate thanks, you. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Um, okay, Cody. So she's up against the worst form of cronyism that <laughs> you could ever see. Uh, the, pro, the, the consultant who said, hey, you should do this is now the <laughs> acting director who is hiding information from the oh. public 
on the utility. Why? Well, we don't want uh, we don't want our competitors to, to to know what we're up against. Oh, you mean government doesn't want competition? Who the fuck? That's what's so offensive about this situation to me. Um, and I'm I'm so thankful for Sarah uh, for coming on and, and talking to us about it because I I would have never known. I mean, I'm in Denver. I'm not up in Fort Collins, and I probably wouldn't have you know caught the stories that had come down. But I, this is this encapsulates the problem exactly. And, and here you've got an interesting scenario where you don't even have a, a natural monopoly question, right? I mean, there's already market competitors, and basically what they were trying to do is they were trying to create a publicly owned or or pseudo owned competitor in the market. And then as soon as they got in, they realized, oh, wait, we're not going to be able to be very competitive if we don't hide information. So I think it's so ironic that they come in and then they refuse to allow any information to get out because they don't want undue competition, which would give people cheaper prices and better internet. So, so with the broadband utility, this connection utility in Colorado, it's a little different than what you might be used to in public and electricity because um, the government is going to, this is the equivalent of a government enterprise where it's a quasi private entity that operates by government edict, government law, and is funded initially by government investment, but it does not um, prohibit private, truly private companies like um, Comcast, it doesn't prohibit them from also providing services. So it does have this competitive nature to it. However, and this is the key aspect, if you are going to enter into a competitive market, you have to compete against the rest of the market. The connection is trying to bend the rules in its own favor. This is the definition of cronyism. This is the definition of government-sanctioned monopolies. So they're not trying, you know, there's no monopoly, but it seems as if they want to push everyone else out to have a monopoly using government force to do that. Well, and the key here is that they, they have no stake in the game. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the the company fails, right? That's the biggest thing here is that if the company fails, all of those dollars have to be repaid by citizens. They're going to be put on the backs of everyday people in Fort Collins, and they're going to see their their actual monopoly utility bills go through the roof to cover up these government bonds that are used in order to pay for the startup costs for the utility. So one of the problems is, right, one of the things that you need in creating a market competitor and moving into the market is you need an individual incentive to provide a better service or to provide the same service at a cheaper price, or you have to have some stake on, you know, some, something in the game that you're going to lose, but connection's not going to lose anything. If they fail, they fail, whatever they'll, the employees will go find other jobs, but it's not like there's an individual here that's got his life on the line or his livelihood on the line he'll probably just go advise a different city on broadband. <laughs> oh, yeah. In economic terms, we say this is this this is happening because they do not have the profit loss incentive mechanism. I figured there was a term for it. I just, uh, you know, lawyer. It's a, fa- it's, <laughs> it's a fancy way of saying they're not afraid to lose because they can't lose. And if they profit, oh, well, they, that's just more money in their pockets, right? They're going to get paid no matter what. Um, so this connection broadband utility 
the the whole idea of utilities. One of the things that we mentioned earlier uh, in the episode was when you grant these monopolies, or in Fort Collins' instance, this quasi-monopoly, this government-backed corporation, when you institute these things, because you don't really have competition, you risk a serious mismanagement of resources. Um, and that's not just because they don't lack profit uh, motivation. That That is very much a big part of it. It also comes down to the fact that if they you know, if they're behind on a project or if they don't update their systems or if they don't do X, Y, and Z, who cares? You have no one else to go to, okay? Imagine, um, if you will, a scenario where you are in a crisis and you, uh, you know what, let's just, let's just do this, right? Let's, let's take a, a hurricane example. Let's say you were in the throes of a hurricane. And you didn't have enough time to get out of town for whatever reason. Um, everything shuts off. Okay. Everything is just, just the streets are flooded. It's a mess. But you are in desperate need of some fresh water. Okay. Um, obviously, the water systems are just completely bunk. No one would be able to, to thwart against that. But you still need water. You, you really need it. Now, getting water to you, if you are stuck in a flooded hurricane zone, if you're stuck there and you need fresh water, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be through the roof expensive. But you know what? I bet you, I'd be willing to bet that there is some company out there, greedy as they might be, there is a company out there who is willing to move heaven and earth to get you that water. Why? Because if you're willing to pay for it, and you are, they're willing to sell it. We're treading dangerously close into the uh, immorality of price gouging laws. <laughs> now, we can do a whole thing on price gouging laws later. This is getting into it, but I'm bringing my point back to the utility. Let's take a non-emergency scenario. Let's take those instances where Cody is in California in, his, in the days of his youth, as a youth, and he is having to do, what would you call it? A brownout, not a blackout? I think that's what they're called, right? Rolling brownouts. Right. This idea that, hey, everybody, shut your stuff off. Use candles because we don't have enough electricity. Well, make more electricity. No, just deal with it. If you had competition, if you had someone who is motivated by profit, then they would say, you need more electricity? You want to pay for it? Yeah, cool. Here you go. Here's more. Wait, wait, wait. We have more demand and more people are willing to pay for it? Dude, we got to find another way to get electricity. Hey, do you think we could buy it off of those other guys who aren't using electricity? Yeah. Okay, let's buy it off of them. We can sell it for double to our consumers. Yeah, prices are going to be a little bit different, but you're going to have electricity. Your refrigerator is not going to turn off. You're not going to have the problem of, well, my meat is now just rotten. Profiteers, if you like, greedy capitalists, whatever you want to call them. The thing about them is that they get the job done. They get you your resources. When you look at government, they might have the price low, but you may not be able to even get in the first place. And we saw this occurrence. This we saw this crisis happen in Texas a couple of weeks ago with the, well, with the terrible weather of a terrible month in February. Um, the Texas power utilities and the Texas water mains for that matter, 
Um, they, they, they were toast, right? They, they, they couldn't function that cold weather. And you might say, well, that's just the natural environment, Stan. That's just the natural way of the world, Cody. That's not their fault. Well, I reckon it is, and here's why. This is not the first time Texas has gone through a cold snap like this. It was about five, ten years ago that they had a similar uh, encounter. In that encounter, after the encounter, scientists, meteorologists, they looked at them and they said, wow, this is really, really bad. Um, we're going to come up with a recommendation, government. We're going to say, hey, here's what you can do in the future. Here's how you can prevent it. Um, here's how you can pre prevent this from happening under even more extreme circumstances. That's all been published. That's all been signed and done. What did the public utility do? They modified and updated some of their systems, but not nearly enough. They did not think that they would have to deal with this problem. And you want to say, Stan, that's not a problem of government. That's a problem of human frailty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. If I'm a private company and my existence depends upon whether or not I get you your service, that you get power, you get water, I am accounting for every contingency. Well, and here's the other side of that, right? Is like, let, let's say that it was unanticipatable, you know, 200 year storm, whatever. Well, today, do you want that same utility being the only one that can provide you with energy to your home? Or do you want 15 different companies working on it to try to figure out how to get you the most secure supply of power? And do you want to have a choice based on how secure that supply of power will be? You, you Guess what? If you don't like your power utility in Texas and you have a problem with them, you're screwed. Oh, yeah, you, you still got the same power utility tomorrow. Like, there's nothing you can do. You know, in Denver, we have Excel. If you don't like Excel, yeah, cool. You can go ahead and complain and then pay your Excel bill the next month. That's the thing here is there is no real incentive for the utility to make the service better. 100%. You can complain all you want but you can't leave them. Like it's a bad marriage and there's no divorce. <laughs> there's no, there's no divorce. And there, and it wasn't really a marriage. It was a forced union. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Companies that are motivated by profit and have competitors to worry about are thinking about these problems constantly. They're updating, they're innovating. Why is it that you think, and I, I, I love this example. Why is it that you think in the, how long have we had the television? You'd say 80 years now by this point? Uh, yeah, 70, 80. 80. 80 years we've had the television. And it is more advanced than ever before. And then you take something like the educational system. And how well has that adjusted? Now, I'm a teacher. I love teachers. I love schools. But I don't think any of us can deny that the state of education in our country is not what we might want it to be. Why is that? What motivation is there to change it, to make it better? The motivation to make the TV better is money. There's not a whole lot of motivation for schools to change. This goes to the heart. When you have a monopoly like the government does, there's not really an impetus to be better, to provide for contingencies, to be prepared for the crisis, right? Now, we've 
hammered you with economic theory. We've gone over supply and demand. We've gone over price gouging even. We've gone over things that are just kind of way out there. I want to bring this home. Cody, hold on. I want to highlight something here. uh, That connection really um, elucidated for me. And something that I think is key here, when we're talking about freedom versus force, when we're talking about, you know, individual ability, because one of the things that tripped me up with connection early on was that it was put to a popular vote. And we've been talking about the importance of, you know, local governance. There's not, I mean, there is more local, but there's not much more local than your city. I mean, that's pretty much as local as you get these days. We should be focused on community. We should be focused on those things. But so we, they put this to a popular vote. So it would seem to be a majority of people thought this was a good idea. But here's the problem. What you put to a popular vote was a measure that implicates everyone and allows the government to use force against everybody. And that's where you have the problem here. Because the force that the, the government is using here is those dollars. They're using government bonds that are backed by the population which means 55 or 57%, whatever it was, basically said, government, we're okay with you using those other 43% of people as a surety for this utility. Mm. And that's when you have an improper role of government. It doesn't matter if it's a popular vote here. It doesn't matter if it's majority rule because we're not talking about something that doesn't affect everybody. You basically are using majority rule to allow the government to potentially, or at least risk, screwing over your entire population. And that's where there's a big problem for me here. Something quippy, I just thought there's something you said that capitalism is the only system where the individual gets to make a decision for the individual, where 100% of the population makes decisions for 100% of the population. Government is the system where 50, democracy specifically, democracy is where 51% of the population gets to make decisions for a hundred percent of everyone else. Right. Um, and this really is what brings us into why utilities. Yeah. They're economically inefficient. They're economically just disadvantageous, but they're also principally principle, principle, principally. Yeah. Prince. Yeah. <laughs> On a principled basis <laughs> are also fundamentally bad for a free people because it rests upon this idea that you don't have choice. You don't have the freedom to take your money, your property, and go buy goods and services, power, water, internet, that you don't have the authority to go find something else, that you don't have the authority. And let's let's make it even worse. You don't have the authority, you, you don't have the ability not just to go out and find someone else, you don't even have the right to use your own property to start a competing rival. If you look at your water and your electricity providers and say, man, this sucks, I can do it much better. You might be able to, but you're not allowed to. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a, there's, you can think of a million ideas or or a million, you know, examples of this of like, you know, what if you could only have iPhones? It's the only phone available. Mm. Well, Majority of people have iPhones. So, I mean, I think the majority of people in the U.S. still have iPhones. Yeah. Um, you know, so probably, you know, it's not going to change much for them. That's fine. I get to keep the phone I have. But which you have two effects, clear effects. First, 
all the people that don't have iPhones now have to get them. So they no longer get to choose a competitor. Second, your iPhone is not going to get any better anytime soon. There is no incentive anymore for Apple to continue to try and dominate the market share. There is no incentive for Apple to make a better, I mean, if you thought the advance of the iPhone has yeah. years, it will just get 8,000 times worse. Exactly. So, I mean, there's there's everyday examples that you could think about this, but the key here is that these are not natural monopolies. The only reason that they are monopolies is because of a lack of foresight and a lack of allowance of individual or of government to allow people to enter the market. And so- Yeah, it's an unnatural monopoly. It's a government-backed monopoly. Exactly. And it's one of the few things that we're that the vast majority of people are okay with just sitting back because they don't think that a market competitor can come in. I think a really interesting example of this is space, Mm. right? When we were, when there was the whole defund NASA issue and NASA was going away and was ending the space program, everybody thought this is the end. We'll never go to space again. Well, I, after, I mean, today it didn't go the best for SpaceX, but I think it was a success for them in their books, but you now see a competitive space industry, even still, it's still a problem because it's not truly free. It's still bidding for government contract. It's still dealing with public funding, but look at the, yeah, look at the advance there, the lack of advancement in the space shuttle from the eighties till when did it come out at 2003, 2005 or something? Oh, I think think it's 2010. Yeah. Some somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So look at how little development there was between, I think it was 2010. So you've got 30 years of of nothing and it's been 10 years since and now we've got these insane self-landing rockets technology used to land perseverance on mars oh my god it's so awesome so and that's exactly i mean you know we could sit here for three hours and coming up with fun examples but the key here is that utilities are just like space flight they're just like your iphone they're just like anything else if you let the market compete and you let people choose, you will get a better service at the end of the day. And you're not doing it on the backs of your fellow man. I like that. Before we get into shout outs and our closeout, um, we deliberately did not talk about other government monopolies or quasi monopolies like roads. One of the one of the most favorite things for libertarians is to rail against roads. That imagine a, a world utopia where roads are built by Domino's and UPS and Amazon. How no, awesome no. would that be? This is not a favorite thing for libertarians to rail about. This, this is, is what fa- every single person who hears you're a libertarian immediately starts with when they hear <laughs> you're a libertarian. So yeah, they immediately walk up to go, "Oh, you're a libertarian? Oh, well, what about roads?" Like. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you realize that a lot of these government enterprises are just monopolies, then you realize why your roads aren't being repaired. You begin to realize, wow, why is medicine so expensive? Well, it might be because the government granted a monopoly to them because uh, with what's called a patent. You know, maybe. Now, why did the Star Wars sequel trilogy turn out so terribly? Well, that might be because Disney has a perpetual monopoly over its IP, over its IP, right? You know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why certain things- That one felt real personal, Stan. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many things in this world that are run by government and you realize that's crap. Why? 
it's not just because government's inefficient, though it is. It's because government's a monopoly. Everything it touches monopolizes itself. Um, so to wrap that up, utilities are bad because you don't get the freedom to do with your property what you want. And economically, they're just horrid. They, they generate really, really, really subpar results where we could have far, far better outcomes. Um, Cody, do you have any shout outs for us today as we close out? I do. I'm going to keep in the line of, of, of thanking friends. Uh, I actually just got back from visiting a couple of friends, Dylan and Bree, who, uh, who just have a new baby, Kamea. So uh, Dylan has been listening to the podcast. He does not live in Denver, but has been helping kind of spread it to some of his coworkers and some of his friends and family who've been listening. So, uh, you know, like I said, kind of last time, you know, it's just been really cool to, uh, to talk to people about what we're doing, have them hear us kind of take positions on things and, you know, they, they've enjoyed it and helped get the word out. So thanks to those guys. And thanks for, for also, you know, critiquing me when I need it. <laughs> That's also helpful. You, you can never go wrong with friends like that. Um, I have a shout out of a new subscriber, uh, Mr. Eli Boone. Uh, he is a friend and a colleague of my wife, uh, co-worker. He has just recently joined in. He may not be what you uh, call one of our typical listeners, that is of our people who are already kind of generally agreeing with us. He is um, he is a curious individual. He is an, a, a, a smart, thought-provoking person, so a thoughtful man. And we like those people. No, we, we don't. We don't want everyone to agree with, I mean, we do want everyone to agree with us, but we don't want to force you to agree with us. We want you to come to the conclusions on your own. What we want is thoughtfulness. We want good discourse. And we appreciate uh, men like Eli for being part of our listening base. So thank you, Eli, for subscribing. We hope to hear from you uh, in the future. Free market agreement. That's what we look for. Free market agreement. That's right. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, we don't know what we're going to talk about next time, but we know it will be self-evident and likely forgotten. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SEF underscore pod, as well as Facebook. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everything else that has audio. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next time.